Welcome to episode three of the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Nate. And once again, we have friend of the show, Jude St. John with us. How you doing, Jude? I'm doing great. It's good to be here again. Glad to have you back, Jude. So boys, let's start off with the opening question. I have heard a rumor, Jude, that you are a big coffee and donut fan. Is this true? This is true. I would consider myself an aficionado of both of those things. I can't even spell that word. <laughs> That's impressive. Where, where is the best coffee and donut that I could get in this area? You so know, by this area, we mean London and surrounding area, but I know you, uh, you travel quite a bit. Jesus. Yeah. And when I, us. when I do travel, I look for donuts. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's part of my thing. I, I think you got to separate those two things though. You I mean, if those are as important as I think they are, you've got to go to one place to get the best coffee and a different place to get the best donut. So let me start with coffee. Um, if you asked me this two weeks ago, I'd have given you a quick answer, no questions asked, but I'm going to equivocate a bit today just because of the events of the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, uh, I would have said the best coffee, the best cup of coffee that you can get in London was from Locomotive Espresso, their Long Black. And so that's an, you know, an espresso drink yeah, that has been drawn good. out and long. And I, I've got a funny thing here. It tastes better in a paper cup than it does in the ceramic cup they give it to you, which surprised me. Hmm. Um, but I prefer it in the paper cup. So I would have said two weeks ago, uh, that is the best coffee that you can buy. And you'll notice I keep saying that you can buy, because I would argue that I can make you a better cup of coffee. But in terms of buying it, I haven't invited you over, so you wouldn't have that experience. <laughs> That's I, not an I've option. I've noticed. <laughs> um, now, in the last two weeks, uh, I, for the first time... Uh, visited a fairly new coffee joint in the city uh, called 1018 Cafe. And there they do pour-over coffees, one cup at a time, and that's what I'm going to equivocate about. They make good coffee there. It is solid, and so I'm not sure I'm prepared now to say which of those two I would say is the best coffee in London. Uh, both are excellent. You can't go wrong with either of those two. Uh, I've been on a little 1018 kick the last two weeks since I, I found this place. And so solid coffee at both those places. So then donut. So you're going to a different place for the best donut in the city. Where are you going? You know, I would say I'm a little disappointed uh, in London for donuts uh, overall. Have you um, brought this up to the city council at well, all? Well, <laughs> I should call the mayor and address this situation. If you're listening, he's busy. Jude has a bone to pick. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a problem. Uh, I will uh, say La Noisette. Uh, it's on Oxford. It's a cafe. Uh, they have some good donuts uh, in there that I really like. Uh, if I was, you know, put to it to, to get a donut or donut-like um, pastry. pastry or something in the city or in the near area, I would go up to Godrich. Uh, mm. Colbert's Bakery. Uh, has cream puffs there, and uh, they are outstanding. Uh, I feel like I ate like eight of them at one sitting one time. And so they are very good. They're worth the drive, about an hour up there to Godrich. If someone was saying, you got to produce the best donut-like snack, uh, I'd probably head to That's Culver's. where you're going. Yeah. Wow. Worth I the drive. That's pretty good. Now, I will say, just, just to, just to uh, let our listeners know that you are an authority on this. So I uh, traveled with Jude. We went to Together for the Gospel down in Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, I mean, we were all excited. We were going to listen to John Piper and David Platt and all these guys preach. Uh, but 
as much of the drive down was was talking to Jude about where we're going for coffee and donuts. <laughs> and so we we did the Airbnb thing. We found this really nice place. And every morning we're getting up and, and we're not sleeping in. We're getting up at like six o'clock and Jude's already out of the house. And he comes back in with a dozen donuts and some coffees. And so he's going around looking for the best place to get coffee and donuts in Louisville uh, while we were there. So this is his thing for yeah, sure. We so did the same thing in Calgary, remember? Yeah, that's yeah, right. I found, right. found a donut place in Calgary. So um, I like my donuts. Um, I like, you know, places. Now, I would say, particularly now since there's only one Krispy Kreme in Ontario, uh, you have to go to uh, to Toronto on Mavis Road. Uh, Krispy Kreme has good donuts. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's, you know, it's a franchise. Right. And there's something about finding that mom and pop shop. That Diamond do their, in the rough. That's right. Do the donuts the old-fashioned way. And uh, that's what I look for when I'm, I'm traveling to other cities. So did your health uh, take a nosedive then when Krispy Kreme came to London for a couple of years? Yeah, or? I was. I was you know, playing football at the time. And that was a regular staple. We made the rookies buy them all the time. And yeah. then with one on the route out to the highway, uh, that was a bad deal for me. You know, everyone else, the reason Krispy Kreme, I understand, didn't last is because that was when the protein craze started, the Atkins diet and, you know, all this stuff. Well, come on, people, you know, get your priorities straight. Yeah. We can have one Krispy Kreme in the city and we're not all going to be obese. Yeah. But uh, we let it go, and so now you got to go to Toronto if you want crispy. Should cream. have been a hill we were willing to die on. It. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So uh, today we we have Jude back, and uh, we wanted to talk about what it means to be reformed. Uh, so we've been talking on this podcast the first couple of episodes about reformed theology, some of the pastors that we follow, and so I guess uh, the 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 topic today is just what does it mean to be reformed. Uh, so I guess I'll, uh, since you're the guest on the show today, Jude, I'll, I'll pose that question to you. Uh, what does it mean to be Reformed? What is Reformed theology? Uh, great question. And I know that there are some people who I will call capital R Reformed people, you know, talking about the covenant all the time, baptizing their babies. Uh, I do not mean to step on their toes in calling myself Reformed. You know, I recognize yep. there's a difference there. So when I say I'm Reformed or uh, I like Reformed theology. Uh, there's a couple things I'm talking about. Uh, first, uh, God's sovereignty, the meticulous sovereignty of God uh, over all things. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, the other two things I would add into that uh, would be Calvinism, yep. you know, the, uh, the tulip, uh, belief in that, and then the five solas. Right. So to me, I feel like if that's, if that's part of your theology, if you hold to those things, and again, I'm, in many instances, I'd want to uh, articulate them in a certain way yep. so that I'm understood, but uh, the, the meticulous sovereignty of God, the five solas, Calvinism, uh, that's, that's my Reformed theology. Right. And so just, just to kind of define some of that for some of our listeners who might not know, uh, five solas being uh, the five onlys, right? The uh, that we are uh, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, as laid out in scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. So those Correct. are the five the, the five solas, uh, kind of born out of the Reformation, which is where uh, Reformation Reformed theology comes from. And then uh, Calvinism and Tulip, really uh, talking about total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. Um, irresistible grace, and then the preservation of the saints. So those are kind of, and, and I would I would echo that completely. I, I would say that that's uh, what I would describe as Reformed theology. And and to me, uh, I think that 
the idea of Reformed theology, uh, and you started with the meticulous sovereignty of God, I think those other things are, are essentially extensions of God's sovereignty, sure. right? Yep. So for me, uh, beginning to understand that God was sovereign over all things, all the details of life, and then, and then realizing what that means, that that means his sovereignty comes into salvation. Yep. That means that his, his sovereignty is coming into how we know and understand truth. Um, and that, uh, that he alone was um, uh, center in our salvation and, and in saving grace. So, so yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, what about you, Chris? How would if, if you call yourself reformed? Um, wh- what does that mean to you? For, for me, I would agree with everything that's been said so far. Obviously, it's about God's sovereignty, about the soul, it's about Calvinism. But for me, it's also about just getting back to what was taught in the early church, what Paul wrote, what Peter was talking about, what Jesus taught himself. It's about reclaiming what we should have been teaching all the time. Mm. And so it took 1,500 years to, for us to get back rooted into truth. And I think for me, what being reformed means is just really being back to what was taught when we, we should have been following all the time. Being and biblical. Being biblical. <laughs> yeah. like, and just getting reclaiming that idea of early church, gospel, sovereignty, grace, the doctrines of grace, as Paul would have taught it if he was standing here with us right now. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting just the time that we're living in. I mean, we're sitting here doing a podcast where we're kind of marrying Reformed theology with nerdy stuff. Um, but I know we've been heavily influenced by uh, podcasts like the Reformed podcast, right? And, uh, and some of the guys that we listen to. I think Reformed theology is kind of coming back, right? It's, it's cool again. I actually saw a shirt on missionaware.com the other day, and it had a picture of Spurgeon. And he was wearing like kind of the the black framed glasses, and it said "reformed" before it was cool. And, right. and I kind of chuckled at that because uh, I think there has been kind of a resurgence of reformed theology. Uh, any thoughts on where that resurgence has come from? Well, you know, I, I recently uh, read, did a bit of reading on uh, churches in North America and in the West that were uh, thriving, as opposed to maybe the mainline churches that were dying. And um, being orthodox was key. Hmm. So taking theology seriously, as opposed to being liberal with your theology, or watering theology down, uh, or or uh, taking some sort of postmodern approach to truth, uh, was actually um, a sign that you were going to die as a church. Yeah. So when you talk about you know orthodox belief and uh, doctrinally strong churches. Uh, I'm not saying only those who hold to Reformed theology could be that way, but it seems to me uh, that Reformed theology goes hand-in-hand with that, with taking doctrine and theology seriously, uh, which I think is is aiding to that resurgence. This is what is drawing in even that you know, the groups that people suggested uh, this wouldn't appeal to, millennials. Right. They say m- millennials are attracted to this uh, this belief in that strong doctrinal approach and that uh, working towards uh, orthodoxy. So I think that's part of the reason why, you know, we've seen its resurgence. I completely agree with that. I think, uh, you know, I grew up in a church that wouldn't have uh, been characterized at all as reformed, far more in, into kind of the charismatic uh, spectrum of things. But for me, Reformed theology really came uh, at the, the right time because I was just getting educated in, uh, at Western University. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm in, in university and I'm drinking in the postmodern Kool-Aid, right? It, right? Literally, every class I took 
It was how does postmodern thought uh, come to bear on this subject matter? So postmodern thought just being that there is no absolute truths, that we can't actually know anything, that my truth has the same value as your truth, and what's mm-hmm. true for me might not be true for you, and that there's no meta narrative, that there's all these small narratives, and experience trumps fact, and and all these postmodern things that. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm drinking this stuff in in university, and so Reformed theology comes at a time where, you know, it's easy to buy into that stuff when you're in that culture, but the moment truth comes to bear on that, and you realize it's absurd. It's absurd right. to think that there's no such thing as truth. It's absurd to think that two opposing truths can both be somehow true. So for me, Reformed theology kind of cut through all of that right. junk, and and uh, and it came. So so what you're saying really kind of resonates personally with my story and my kind of uh, jump jump into Reformed theology. Yeah, I think too. You know, uh, the the arrogance that goes along with postmodern thought. You know that that my truth is the real truth. Right. Uh, over against you know, what may be able to be proven factual or over objective truth. Um, one of the things that I re- remember finding refreshing about Reformed theology, about the sovereignty of God uh, over all things, over my own salvation, uh, was it was humbling. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't the center of the universe. And yet, even though it was humbling, it was still removing a burden that I was carrying uh, carrying, uh, like Atlas, carrying the world, the universe on my shoulders. Right. Uh, actually, that's not the way it is. And th- I remember how refreshing that truth was. I fought it yep. because I liked sitting on the throne, yep. and I'll be honest. Uh, but when I was, by God's grace, be able to work through some of those things, um, it became uh, yeah, something so refreshing and encouraging and comforting uh, that uh, I think once I started down that road, it was inevitable. Yeah. Now, um, now, Chris, uh, one of the things I've always admired about Chris is he's he's much more hip and with it than me. Sure. Um, you know, I don't you know just, if that's true. Nate. You just kind of look at his hair; it's styled. You know, he's he's the one guy with product in his hair. He's the cool one. He's uh, wearing plaid right he's now. He's wearing plaid. Yeah. So he's he's the cool one around it's the, the table. The reformed uniform. <laughs> well, and so this is what I'm this is where I'm going with this is there there seems to be some kind of cultural things that kind of go along with reformed theology now in in circles that are now reformed now now that there's this sort of resurgence it, it comes with its own little bit of a culture. So what are some of those cultural things, Chris? Like. So if Jude and I have, have taken this journey into Reformed theology, how do we start looking the part? That's right. Well, first thing is you both got to get better beards. Okay. So I know you guys can't see them. They're both struggling a little bit in their facial department right now. Um, beards is key. Drinking black coffee. I'm assuming both of you drink black yes. coffee. Yeah. That that's the Reformed liquid. So it's <laughs> back to truth, back to the beginning, back to the way it was designed. Yeah. You know what I mean? None of the none of the impurities like milk or cream or sugar. Yeah. Exactly. Just like God's sovereignty in the bean. Right? <laughs> he made the bean perfect. He what? made the bean perfect. <laughs> Who are you, oh man, to think that you can improve <laughs> upon this bean? There's nothing new under the sun. Why are we adding sugar yeah. and Amen. mocha it. lattes to our coffee? Right? That's that's ridiculous. Yeah, so that's the call. first thing I would say. Okay. So uh, so grow better beards. Now, just just for, so our listeners have some level of respect for us, Jude and I, neither of us are clean shaven. So that's we're correct. Not, yeah, we we not, have beards. It's yeah. not that we don't have beards. It's that we don't have the volume right. that Chris the reform has. beard. You don't exactly. You're 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 still kind of trying to live in that postmodern world. Yeah. Where you just gotta you just gotta let it <laughs> and, go. And and trying to stay married. 
Yeah, that's that is, those two things are keeping my beard a little yeah. thinner than maybe it ought to be. Yeah, that's fair. You gotta you gotta muscle through. Apparently, there's a there's there's a a stage where it is is not attractive to your wife, right? Yes. So you gotta muscle through that and get to and that get to that place point. where it becomes manly and and objectively and beautiful. Rugged. Here's a question, you know, as a as the style guy, what's the deal with these moleskin journals? Like, is that a reform thing? I've, I've been reading about that, these guys who get moleskin journals. Do you know anything about that? I feel like that's more hipster. Okay. I feel like that's actually taking reform too far. Ah. Like, that's like when you've, when you've leveled up to, like, the top rank and you can't go any farther. You, you start like, making stuff up. Just be like, this is, this is what I'm doing. Okay. So I do think, have hippies tried to hijack reform culture a little bit? Because I feel like I, I would have put moleskins... You know, black frame glasses, cardigans. Is that all hippie or is that is that edging over? In, what's the Venn diagram of these things that overlap? <laughs> it's the combo, right? You, uh, like if you, you have the great beard and the plaid shirt, but then you got the dark frame glasses and the star tattoo, you've gone too far. Too far. Uh, you're trying too hard. That's t- you're trying, yeah. exactly. You're trying yeah. too hard. You're, you're trying to get your look to make your reform instead of your theology. Exactly. Yeah, that's fair. Exactly. That's a, that's you're trying problem. to play the that's part. That's a problem. Without That's actually fun. having the backing. So you just you talked about leveling up uh, the, the the reform. So what are the what are the levels of reform look here? Well, I think we're going we, for? I think we got to figure that out so that our listeners can see that, so we can break it down for them. Beard is probably like you're a level three if you've got a good solid beard. So you guys would both be in the le- in the levels. Okay. Like you got you got the beard, so you play the part. You're not clean shaven. You know, you can't be reformed and be shaven. You know, I like it. I know, like, I like what you're saying though, because it's the whole package, right? So you take a guy like Piper who doesn't have a beard. Well, he's got to be strong in other areas, clearly, right, to be included in in that group. So I see what you're saying. It's the whole package, but most guys can do the beard thing. Like that's a way in the door. I can I can grow a beard. Yeah. Let's get this let's get this party started. Yeah. See, I feel like I feel like Piper is so far reformed, advanced that his his facial hair probably just doesn't even grow anymore, just for the fact that it's wasting time. <laughs> yeah. Good call. So like he's just, yeah. He can't be bothered to shave, so like, his body is and like you can't afford like buying razors and all this stuff. I'm yes. just gonna give that away. I don't need that stuff. That's right. wasting my time. Right. Like, that's very good. He can't he can't trust himself with a razor. <laughs> now just just so that people understand, like it's not just that beards have been, you know, uh, married to reform theology abstractly. This comes from a Chesterton quote, and Chesterton uh, was quoted to say, "One cannot grow a beard in a moment of passion." Mm. Right. So, so the point here is that you have to be thoughtful about growing a beard. You have to be intentional about growing a beard. This isn't something that the whims of my my fleeting feelings are going to allow me to to grow a beard just like that. It's something. It's a commitment. It's like reform sa- theology is a commitment. It's like face sanctification. Right? <laughs> like it's a process. It starts small and it builds. Right. Like the longer you're working at it, the better it gets. You could like faceification. Facetification. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to come up with some words for you. You I'm can hashtag that. those. I'll take that. Yep. Hashtag facetification. Choosing <laughs> <laughs> up a lot of your 140 uh, characters. Yeah, yeah, Let's get that trending. <laughs> what What would be some other things that would be on the reform level, like smoking a pipe? Well, yeah, I think Spurgeon, right? Again, uh, these things aren't abstract. Spurgeon said, uh, I, "I intend to the glory, or I intend to smoke a good cigar tonight to the glory of God." Uh, when he was in a debate one time with a liberal, right? And the liberal, uh, I can't even remember, so you can probably Wikipedia this uh, and check my facts. But uh, so he's in a debate with a liberal who was talking about uh, uh, Spurgeon's 
uh, cigar smoking and said that he thought that was a vice. And he thought, uh, and so, you know, Spurgeon, being a solid reformer, says, show me biblically why I shouldn't be smoking cigars. And uh, so he says, uh, back to Spurgeon, well, I'm worried about excess. I'm worried about you crossing over to the place where it's addiction and it's excess. And Spurgeon said, well, I know when it will cross over into excess. Two cigars at the same time, now that would be excess. <laughs> but, and then he says, uh, I intend to uh, smoke a good cigar tonight to the glory of God. So I think, it, I think part of that comes back to that idea that, you know, it, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God, which uh, if, you're, if you're a five solas guy, all to the glory of God is part of the package deal. So, so pipes, cigars, definitely. Okay, but what about, uh, here's my question, which is more reformed, a pipe or a cigar? I see. I, I I feel like the answer is a pipe, but it's hard to say because Spurgeon was he's like Spurgeon. one of the he's one of the main reform guys, right? So he's the cigar guy. When when you think of pipes, you think of Gandalf, and I don't know. I, I don't know how <laughs> C.S. How reformed, Lewis and he wasn't reformed, even yeah, though we love C.S. Lewis. But see, he drank tea, so you can't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> can't trust can't trust the tea. Can't trust paper. anybody who doesn't drink coffee. Okay, I would say a pipe. Because you can reuse it. So it's like, you know, you get that extra use out of it all the time. But the cigar is also very, like, it's manly. Mm. Like, to have the big stogie in your hand. So Fair enough. I think, I think it's, I think it's a, like we were saying earlier, it's a combo, mm. right? If you're drinking the pipe with a tweed blazer, you might have gone too far. <laughs> but if you're drinking the pipe with, like, a blazer with some patches, you're in, good, you're in a okay. good space. All right, fair enough. We've got a consultant here. Because this is getting a bit confusing for me, but yeah. I'm glad we have someone we can ask. Yeah, you're the coffee guy. He's the uh, he's the reformed culture uh, attire guy. This is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of uh, our journey into reformed theology, attire aside, um, Jude, why don't you just start us off and just kind of, what was it? So you kind of talked about how the meticulous sovereignty of God uh, is kind of the foundation for your reformed faith, but um, what brought you there? You know, really, it was a, a process over several years, and I, I know you're asking the question of, as a host, but you were also present uh, on that journey uh, with me and with some other guys. It really was a process which started with uh, owning my own faith mm. and owning that which I believed, not just accepting what I believed because it had been fed to me, but actually grabbing hold of it, engaging with it, you know, opening my Bible and saying, are the things that I believe true? Are the things that I believe biblical? And uh, we often sort of joke uh, or maybe out of the side of our mouth say, once you start down that path, yeah. you're going to end up with, you know, these things that we believe about uh, theology. So that process of owning my faith uh, started me down that track. Once right. you start down the path forever, will it dominate your destiny? <laughs> For anyone who's listening. <laughs> nice. So the, uh, and, and you're right. So, I mean, Jude and I kind of went through this uh, transformation uh, roughly the same time. I would say that you kind of embraced it a little quicker a than bit. I did. Because um, I remember having conversations and, and uh, we'll call them uh, heated moments of fellowship yeah, uh, that's right. o- over, uh, over whether or not my choices were real. And, uh, and that, that linchpin of God's sovereignty over my salvation, Huge. right? I was that guy who would say amen when the preacher said God is sovereign, but yep. the moment it came to bear on my own salvation, I wanted I wanted some credit, right? Yep, I wanted absolutely. my choices real. I had a part to play in this. And, yep. 
And it came down to this question. I remember us talking about it in a small group. It, you know, is, is salvation one-handed or two-handed, right? Is, does God reach down and grab the hands that are reaching up for him, or, or is, is the picture different? Yeah. And we came, we came to the conclusion that the picture looks like you know, Christ coming down and, and dragging me, kicking and screaming, yeah. and, uh, and there's nothing good in me that would have uh, made that choice. Uh, and for me, and this is one of the reasons I have such uh, affection in my heart for John Piper, because desiring God was yeah. a big part of that. We, uh, Jude and I, were going to a church that wasn't in any way reformed, no. uh, but uh, by uh, God's grace and providence, uh, our pastor had us reading Desiring God. Yep. And the point for him was uh, to kind of get us in on the Christian hedonism thing, right? Sure. So Piper's God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, that whole idea that uh, there's enjoyment and satisfaction in the Christian life. And that's what our pastor was really trying to get us yeah. to, to bite in on. But where we ended up landing was was uh, picking out the doctrines of grace there right. and starting to think about it. And it seemed so biblical and, and then fighting against the Bible because yep. our pride was raging. Um, but, uh, but I remember those days and, and for me, that's when, you know, the, uh, the linchpin was God's sovereignty over salvation. And once you buy into that, once yep. you see it scripturally, and I think, you know, if you, if you explore the Bible, honestly, you see it there. And then the question is, are, are you going to embrace it or not? Can you, can you give up that credit that you've been patting yourself that's on the right. back for all those years? I remember just, you know, grasping that idea of my participation in my own salvation. And through this process, that to which I grasped was getting whittled down smaller right. and smaller and smaller and, and listen to another sermon and it's smaller and, and study another scripture and it's smaller. And I, I remember at one point, you know, just realizing I was holding on to this little speck Right. of my participation in my own salvation. And I just remember thinking, what am I holding on to this for? Yeah. This is so insignificant now that this is ridiculous. And sort of you know, taking that step and uh, confessing yeah. that uh, salvation is all of God. And um, you know, once, I agree with you, that's the linchpin. Once you give up on that, you know, give up on that which is most important, yeah. right? Being reconciled to God. Yeah. Um, once you say that was him, you know, then, you know, what's free will? Right. You know, well, it's not what I thought it was, and I'm okay with that. Uh, how can there be evil and God be sovereign? Well, that's a tough question, but uh, I've already sort of surrendered, yeah. you know, the most important thing. So I'm going to work through that. And the domino effect after that, I think it's, it, it just, it all follows. Absolutely. And I think what we both realized in, in that surrender was, uh, how much bigger God gets and how much smaller we get. Right. Yeah. And, and you realize, um, you're surrendering some credit that you're holding on to for yourself, but all of that goes to God, which seems a whole lot better, yeah. <laughs> right? It seems a whole lot better. So, and, and I'll just turn it over to you, Chris, because we've been talking for quite a while now, because I know your uh, kind of journey into Reformed theology has been a little bit more recent than that. Um, yes, so, so what, uh, talk, to, talk to us about your journey there. Well, first, I want to I wanna point out, Jude led Nate to Reformed theology, so I should thank Jude for leading me to the Reformed theology because <laughs> it was Nate that led me to Reformed theology. There you go. See how it all so, works, people? Yeah. We'll eventually just fill up the podcast with people as we sure. continue to recruit keep new adding disciples. Levels yeah. Of, uh, <laughs> so yeah, mine, mine was more recent, and I want to echo what you guys said. It's when you, Once you see that it's more glorious that God 
has plucked you from nothing. Mm. And it wasn't because you were wise and made a great educated choice. It's more glorious for God. There's more glory to God for that. For me, the that was the big hang up too, is that I remember when I became a Christian. So I mentally, I put my experience ahead, ahead of the Bible, right? So I, hmm. I remember thinking, oh, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this choice. Right. And what I don't realize is that the choice had already been made for me at that point. I was already a Christian. I just, yeah. I thought I had to say a magic prayer still, you know what right. I mean? And I had, I had already given that over to God. And it was just, it was just through a process of discussions with you, Nate, and listening and reading books, but mostly just dealing with hard scriptures that don't leave error and don't leave room to, mm-hmm. to think that we've made those choices. Roman threes, no one seeks for God. Okay. No, not one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, not Chris Poots. <laughs> exactly. If we, Ephesians two, but God being rich in mercy. It's not like, but God argued Chris Poots into the, into the kingdom. <laughs> right. And he decided in his wisdom to choose this. Yeah. So for me, it was just once I saw those things, I, I couldn't say that I wasn't, for lack of a term, a Calvinist, or that I wasn't reformed once I saw those things in Scripture. So for me, my journey was mostly just rebellion. I just, I, we argued for months about, and it was all you arguing Scripture and me arguing experience. And mm. once, I, once I realized that he who leaves the Bible first loses, yeah. then it doesn't matter what I think is the truth. It matters what God's Word says is true. Amen. And so once I saw that, then it was, it was a pretty quick switch at that point. And then... I can speak because I, I remember it clearly. Once you give that up, like you were saying, Jude, the burden is off of you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then you see scripture in a whole different, more meaningful light. Yeah. It reveals more truth, right? So, yeah, and then you start seeing things in scripture and also just how utterly dependent and grateful you are to a heavenly father who will pluck a wretch like me from what I was to who I am. Yeah. yeah. Amen. That's so, awesome. You know, I want to uh, shout out here, you know, and we talk about this process. I grew up uh, in, in Pentecostal churches and um, two of the guys who were instrumental in, in helping me sort of uh, drop the pride enough to work through this uh, were Wayne Grudem yeah. uh, and Sam Storms. And I think um, those were key. Uh, because these were guys who were continuationists or charismatic. I'm not sure what exact term they would say um, or they would choose to use about themselves. But here were uh, guys who were in the same sort of stream as I were, but uh, were very reformed, uh, very smart, uh, very biblical, uh, great at explaining the deeper truths of Scripture. Right. And um, the fact that they, uh, you know, I wish I was more humble than this, but the fact that they were, you know, in the same tent as me allowed me to sort of let let that pride go, you know, long enough to to read the scripture and and allow the Holy Spirit to convict me of those things. So they were those are a couple guys uh, who were instrumental, you know, on my journey. Yeah, and just so we're uh, kind of recommending some resources for people who who might be uh, wrestling through some of these uh, biblical truths right now. Um, I think you and I were going through some of these same resources. So Sam Storms, I would uh, would you say one thing? Would that uh, be the book of his that? Uh, yeah, but more on the Reformed theology side, uh, his book uh, on election, chosen for life, I believe right. it's called. Yeah, is outstanding. I remember uh, that was sort of one of the final nails in that co- coffin that put uh, yeah. my free will 
as part of my salvation uh, or as instrumental in my salvation, uh, put it to rest. And uh, then Wayne Grudem would have just been his systematics yeah. and his uh, his teaching through his own systematics yeah, he, at uh, at Scottsdale Bible Church. Yeah, and that's online. Christian Essentials, Wayne Grudem. Yeah, if you did right. a Google search for that, every Sunday school for uh, I think three years almost, he went through his systematic theology. Uh, I'm certain I've listened to every one of those once, and at it, least yeah, uh, it, for sure, definitely some of them a couple times. So. Uh, that was huge. There was another book by um, Michael Horton, and I can't think of the name of it right now, about uh, the doctrines of grace. And uh, he's a capital R Reformed guy. <laughs> he's a baby baptizer. Um, yeah, he, wouldn't, uh, he probably wouldn't consider me Reformed. Uh, but if in the next moment or two I think of the name of it... Uh, I'll, uh, I'll throw it out there, but that was instrumental as well. So um, just as we kind of wrap up here, uh, I, I do think it's important, right? So you can tell we could talk about this forever. I mean, this is sure. something, Reformed theology is something we all love, we're all passionate about, we could all talk uh, all afternoon about this. Um, so, but, you know, when we use the term Reformed theology, and certainly when we use the term Calvinism, um, you know, those, those are, are heavy terms, and in our modern evangelical environment in North America here, um, they come with a lot of baggage. Right. So I think, I think all three of us would have a desire to see those words redeemed and, and kind of brought back into uh, uh, not only circulation and something that we can use, but something we can unashamedly use. But um, do you, so, so that, that's my question is, do you find it helpful to use the terms? Do you find that they come with baggage? And what can we do as, as reformed uh, thinkers to kind of redeem those words? Yeah, I would say they definitely come with baggage. And uh, I've come to the point where I'm okay with that, uh, realizing that we can pick another term yep. and eventually it will have baggage as well. So here's my suggestion is I'm going to tell you I'm a Calvinist, but I'm also going to say, I want to sit down and, and talk to you about what I mean when I say I'm a Calvinist. Right. What and I mean I, and what I don't mean. And exactly. And I want to open the Bible and I want to show it to you. Because and you've heard the arguments, oh, I'm, you know, I'm only Calvinist so far as he was biblical. Right. Well, of course. We use Calvinism as a term to explain something, to categorize it uh, for you know, efficient communication, I guess. But so I just I decided I'm I'm just going to use that term hmm. with the baggage and then say but I'd love to sit down and talk to you about right. what I mean about that and good point what I don't mean when I use that term. Right. So that that would be how you go about kind of redeeming the term is to to have those individual conversations. This is what I mean. This is what I don't mean. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? I, I kind of I feel the same way. I have no problems using the word Calvinist because it one stereotypes save time. So <laughs> two, but also just because it does convey in a quick way what I want them to know about me. Mm. But I would also, same thing as Jude, I would want them to not judge me based on the fact that I would describe myself as a Calvinist Christian, whereas they would then put me in a category. I would hope that my character would show that I'm not all the negative stereotypes of that, right? Right. Like, Abrasive. Um, I, exactly. Sort of... I, I love the way Stam, Sam Storms puts it. He calls himself a charismatic Calvinist. Right. And it's like he links... The fact that I still believe in the spirit, I still believe in all these things, and I can still have fun right. and still be a Calvinist. Because I think we've got away from the idea that Calvinism is joy, too. It's, Absolutely. it's happiness Amen. in the faith. It's yeah. grace of God. It's, it doesn't mean I'm a stuffy person whose yeah. faith, it's faith not, needs it's to be reformed. It's not the church curmudgeon, curmudgeon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the front pew uh, yeah, yeah. Dutch guy with the uh, scowl on his face. Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah, my last little point on that is just I, I, think, I think everyone, if they actually thought about it, would be a Calvinist 
it, once you actually walk through, like we, we were discussing, once you actually go through the books of Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, right. everybody agrees God is sovereign. Everybody who's in the churches generally agrees on all these points. They just don't realize it. Yeah. Well, I would certainly say that a lot more do than than we would think, and I think I think a lot of people definitely get get caught on the term. So, um, so I, like I said, we could talk about this all day, but we're going to wrap up here, and uh, and we'll be bringing you some more content soon, and uh, we'll try to get Jude back in the studio with us again soon. But uh, we're going to just. Uh, on our way out, Jude, um, there's probably a lot of our listeners who, like you, you're one of the busiest guys I know, um, and uh, I often joke about only working one day a week because we're pastors, right? right? Um, but uh, but we're busy, and you're especially busy because you've got five kids at home, and they're all really actively involved in sports and extracurriculars. So the life hack that we'll end off with today is just me asking you, uh, you're driving your kids all over the city and outside the city. You're spending your time in rinks and at practices. Uh, how do you redeem the time that you're there uh, investing, being a good dad, but at practices and in rinks? Well, a couple things. I'll start that off uh, by saying I learned to use those times to read, particularly when my kids uh, got into competitive sports and they had to be somewhere an hour before the game. Uh, I'd always watch their game, love watching my kids play, but you'd have that hour. And, you know, oftentimes you would spend it mindlessly shuffling around the inside of a rink right. or on the outskirts of a field. And uh, I would always have a book with me. And uh, I'd either read it in the car, in the parking lot, or I'd you know, drive to a, a Tim Hortons, a Starbucks, somewhere where I could sit and read. And really, uh, that's, um, that's where I, or the first way I learned to redeem the time is to spend that time profitably reading. I mean, we've got phones now. We can have uh, electronic books uh, on, our, on our devices. Um, and even times when you only have maybe 10 minutes, uh, you talk about reform theology, you know, some of it, there's, you know, 10 minutes isn't enough to read a page. Right. You know, you have to be much more focused and stay with an argument. Uh, but you could have a biography on there, yeah. you know, that you could read. And if you got five or 10 minutes, you know, knock off a chapter. Uh, you don't have to be so into it. You can pick it up where you left off. Uh, or, you know, uh, fiction, you know, reading fiction is a good way to redeem that time as well. Now, I want to add something to this, and I've learned this um, maybe by making a mistake. Uh, I started to do this so much that I realized now I was um, jeopardizing relationships or uh, putting myself in a position where relationships didn't even develop with other parents hmm. because I wasn't present. Right. I was in my car, I was in the coffee shop reading, and um, now that I'm a pastor, I'm fairly new at this, and don't have near as much connection with the outside world, uh, I actually realized I was giving up opportunities. And so now uh, I'm trying to be intentional in both ways. I still read, you know, oftentimes when I have that hour waiting. But now I will say, actually, I'm going to go into the rink, but, you know, I'm not going to stare at the vending machines you know, check out all the mindless ads on the cork boards. Right. Uh, I'm going to engage with people. I'm going to develop relationships. I'm going to get in discussions. Maybe I'll get an opportunity to share the gospel, you know, today. And so that's a correction that, uh, that I've made um, uh, in terms of having that idea of redeeming the time. Uh, I was looking primarily at redeeming the time and taking in information, but uh, there's another way to redeem the time. Be intentional about those relationships and those spheres of influence that God has put you in. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. 
Cool. Thanks so much for being with us again. That's what it means to be reformed. And we are the Rebel Alliance. Uh, See you next time.